Hey there, Line Podcast listeners. It's Matt Gurney for Jen Gerson. The podcast this week is a little unusual, if only because this was a week where tons of stuff was happening in the news, but not necessarily anything we wanted to say stuff about, just in terms of, do we need Canadian commentary on the news stories of the week? Salman Rushdie, an assassination attempt. At the time I record this, he's believed to be alive, but who knows? Donald Trump and... An attack on an FBI field office in the United States, uh, a celebrity dying in a terrible crash. These were all news stories this week, but we didn't have a lot to say about them. So we did bring the Canadian commentary as best we could, Alberta, Emergencies Act, stuff like that. But I think we kind of had to start by talking about what was the big news stories of the week. Donald Trump eating the news cycle yet again. Okay. Um, hi. Um, hi. Jen, this is a week that's been loaded with stuff in the news, but I'm not sure it's loaded with commentary stuff. And I know a lot of people don't uh, necessarily get the distinction between it. The world is full of events that need to be like reported, but not necessarily that you or I. They don't want... necessarily need our opinion on yeah, everything. I exactly. Guess, but I but also like sometimes it's not only just kind of like we don't say that with modesty sometimes like i have zero to contribute so so here perfect example um an hour or so before we sat down to record this i don't even know if you've seen this because i know you were running errands you see the thing about salman rushdie yeah he got attacked on yeah. stage and he according to the reports i've been reading his injuries are actually quite serious by the time the listeners and viewers are seeing this we might have much more news on that that's news. I have nothing that's, to say about it. No, that's news. I, I don't have much to say about it either. I mean, it's kind Bad? of tragic that this yeah. dude has been under a fatwa since the 80s. And like 42 years later, it finally comes to pass. It's horrific. But uh, I there mean, will we, be someone presume, who writes a we, we killer essay on this. Yeah, it's not gonna be us. No, we were, we were kids when this whole thing began, if we were born at all. Yeah. Um, the other big story this week, kaboom, um, Trump, FBI, etc., I don't know if we're going to write a dispatch item about this because I don't know if two Canadians have the pulse of the American people. But you and I haven't spoken about this. What do you think? Uh, well, firstly, I mean, obviously, this was going to be something that was discussed. This is that became fodder for the for the culture war in the United States. I don't think we've seen the warrants for any of this yet. So I don't no. think we know. By the time this airs, though, maybe we will have. Maybe we will. Right. So, like, what were they pursuing and why? I'm trying not to be too um, forgiving of the FBI. I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility that this is some kind of massive overreach. But given the political cost of being wrong or overreaching in this particular moment, I I, I kind of doubt it. Um, the other thing I would note is that, you know, the Republicans have been riding a wave and there have been a broad assumption that the liberals have just gone so, you know, self-owning radically leftist that they were going to hand um the republicans the house and the senate i mean biden is wildly unpopular his disapprovals are cre i think they're higher than trump's were even um, i think he has being, historic disapprovals yeah, at least in the his, modern era his historic disapprovals um which you can pin to a lot to sort of a perception of his ineffectuality afghanistan is i think when things started to go sideways for him uh high inflation lots of fears about the future so like everything had been set up for a fairly historic democratic collapse um except that that collapse it does appear as if the republicans had more or less peaked in may 
mm. um, and perhaps peaked too soon because it looked like some of their momentum was starting to peter out and perhaps there was more for the Democrats um, to hope for than had previously been acknowledged. And I mean, now this FBI raid comes into the the, the mix and we just don't know how that shifts the, the math or the perceptions on all of this once again. I don't. So it's, it's it, I don't know. What do you yeah. say? What do you say? I don't think I have like sort of like some meta narrative I can stitch through all these things. But I, I mean, a, a couple of specific observations jumped out at me. Um, one of them was obviously that I, obviously Biden's disapprovals are a matter of record, but he actually had been having a really good week, couple of weeks. Yeah, like, yeah. He got a, an amazing or he got a fairly amazing win with the um, yeah. uh, uh, not build back better, but like a, like IRA, a watered down inflation down reduction act. I think inflation reduction it. act. Yep. And there was zero um, percent inflation this month. So in the U.S., killed so. that Zwahiri Al Qaeda dude. Um, yep. So Americans always like that. I mean, I mean, who doesn't? Um, then this comes along, and there was this sense for kind of twelve to twenty-four hours that this was a gift for the Republicans, right? So the wind mm -hmm. in, in Biden sales, Democrats doing great, huge FBI overreach. All of a sudden, the Republicans are united again. Blah blah blah. That only seemed to last about a day, though, because mm. I think what the FBI, well, I mean, the attorney general, uh, Merrick Garland, had done was clever. And I say this in a nonpartisan way. I don't I don't know anything about Garland other than his recent political history. But I like a shrewd operator and I, I know shrewd politics when I see it. Right. So Republicans are going, release the warrants, release the warrants, release the warrants. And he steps up to a lectern and goes, we'll release the warrants if Mr. Trump doesn't object. Mm. And every Republican social media feed goes silent. Mm. And this is one of those things, and I've commented on this before in Canadian politics as well. When a party knows they've just been punched in the face, all their socials go silent. <laughs> and, and I just don't mean elected officials. I also mean sort of reliable proxies. And if you spend much time covering Canadian or U.S. politics, you get a sense of who the reliable proxies are. Yeah. And all of a sudden they'll go silent and you know, they're awaiting new orders. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. when, when Garland came out and basically said, we will release the warrant or we're asking a court to release the warrant. Uh, and Mr. Trump has until three things. It was three o'clock Friday afternoon, which isn't yet, but it's coming up when we're filming this. Um, he has that long to decide to object balls back in the Republican court and they went silent. So that's interesting. The other thing is that apparently this relates to documents concerning, at least in some way, the use of uh, policies or technical information around nuclear weapons. That's been reported in multiple uh, reputable news sites, including those that kind of we could put in the for or against Trump category, like a mix yeah. of both. It, it would be very interesting to see the Republicans find themselves in a situation where Trump walked out of the Oval with a binder full of notes on nukes. Yeah. I, I don't like, I don't know how you would... defend that like it, like there may have been an innocent reason why they're there like maybe he was just incompetent like you know what I mean like maybe yeah. he just was like oh this is kind of interesting throw it in the bathroom of Mar-a-Lago like I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm not ruling out the possibility of benign or incompetent intent in this yeah. case but how are you going to defend classified nuclear documents in a private it, residence like you just can't right it, the other thing you and I spoke about, this was earlier in the week when this first happened, was um, kind of when this when the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago, you and I both were texting. It was like, wee, like things are going to get nuts now. 
the rhetoric that was coming out of some of the Republicans, and again, I mean elected or in Republican orbit, was wildly inappropriate and inflammatory, especially about the FBI. And we were talking about someone's going to shoot up an FBI office. And that happened this week. Oh, did it? I totally missed that. Near Cincinnati, an Ohio uh, FBI field office was attacked. Uh, according to the information available, the shooter uh, had Jan 6 links and was deep into the megasphere. Of course. Uh, he was not able to get through the outer security. Apparently, there was like bulletproof glass and whatnot at the FBI office, and the mm -hmm. FBI uh, killed the guy. Um, so we might have dodged a bullet on this one because this is kind of what you and I... Um, I mean, like, look, if there's one group of people whom I would not be keen to shoot up, it would be an office full of FBI agents. That would maybe not be the best strategy you could think of. And yet, so yeah. Um, so, it, it, I mean, this is all pr uh, fairly preliminary because the law enforcement picture of this guy is still emerging, but mm -hmm. deep into mega Jan six guy saw what the FBI did in Mar-a-Lago and he shot up a field office. So it looks like he was stopped by bulletproof glass. And then the, and then, yeah, as you said, it ended for him somewhat predictably, I guess, if you're attacking uh, an office full of armed FBI agents. Uh, so America, America, it the continues. Civil War continues. Um, all right. I don't, I mean, I don't know if that's worth a blurb, um, but we'll, we'll, we'll see about it. So you, you actually, I, I confess to you. So this is, like I said before, this is a week where a lot of things happen, but I don't know if I have a ton I want to say about any of it. Um, here's one exception to that. You came with, you came to the table today with a longer list than I did, but here's the item on my list. A couple of weeks ago, I don't remember exactly when it was sometime last month. I think we had, a, we had um, a chance to review in advance, a copy of, Andrew Lawton's book on the convoy crisis uh, mm -hmm. that was provided to us uh, generously by uh, Sutherland House, the uh, the publishing company. We, we know we know the boss there, uh, a, a mutual friend of ours. Um, and we reviewed it, and it jumped out at us that there was a section that was interesting. And a lot of people mm -hmm. have been critical of Lawton's book, and they said he's too um, too friendly to the convoyers. He's too credulous, takes him too seriously. And that I think that's a that's a legitimate criticism. I think so can, too. That you can that you can throw at him for sure. Yep. No, I I think so too. But I also think that as you and I said at the time, I think that's a legitimate criticism. But this book is actually breaking news. Like this stuff is yep. like the book that's is right. putting stuff into the public record that his, wasn't there his, before. His his in, like any kind of what I would call access journalism. Sometimes a degree of credulity and friendliness will give you access to information that you wouldn't otherwise have. That's why those types of journalists are useful in the public sphere yep and the the specific claim that he had made and we used this for our excerpt we this was the excerpt we used uh when we ran it on the line lawton told us that there had been behind the scenes back channel negotiations between convoy leadership and police and political officials in ottawa uh, municipally and that there was the possibility, not a guarantee, but a possibility of a negotiated end to the crisis. Mm -hmm. But then the feds brought in the emergency act this week, the Toronto star matched that with their own reporting uh, using documents of cabinet briefings, most of which are redacted because most cabinet documents are, but the Toronto star confirms what Lawton said in his book, which was published. I think it was, I think it was published in July um, that there were, negotiations underway and that the federal cabinet was briefed that there was a real likelihood of a breakthrough that would have uh and ended ended the crisis um or at least maybe contained it and here's the thing like 
there's so it's so hard to come up with like a, a nuanced take on this because well for a lot of reasons but I, you and I have always said we understand the pre- the pressure the feds were under, but there's still a very specific threshold for invoking the Emergencies Act, and they, it might not have been met. And the problem is, you say that, and people start going, "Ah, it was a convoy, it was an occupation." Like n- there is no degree of nuance left in our politics where you're able to go, "It was an emergency, needed to be dealt with. Local and provincial leadership had failed. We still have doubts." that the federal response took the appropriate form that blows well, also, minds like, you, here you, you you could have effectively brought in the riot squad and and busted heads and gotten people out of there without invoking the emergencies act that's the point i have heard arguments that there were very specific things the emergencies act enabled particularly the the, the the closure of the 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 banking the banks uh, information and specifically the ability to dragoon heavy equipment operators if necessary but if if dragooning tow truck uh, tow truck drivers is what it came down to yikes that's a problem so because that doesn't that doesn't meet the threshold really or it shows how pathetic we are that we need the emergency act to get some heavy tow operators um in line what worries me about all of this it's still this concern i have in the back of my mind that the liberals were embarrassed by what happened in the national capital they got chewed out by the White House, and that always embarrasses any Canadian government. I think there was a perception, an accurate one, that Canada looked weak and incompetent, and there was a desire for a big show of strength. Yes. Where... I am I, I, increasingly of the mind that I think that the evidence points to the Emergencies Act being politically motivated as opposed to practically motivated. And that's And again, people will scream at us and go, oh, but it helped, and the police said it helped. Not saying it wasn't useful saying maybe it wasn't strictly legally necessary, which is not the same thing. So I don't know. Um, it, it's People can dismiss what Andrew Lawton has to say. They'll go, oh, he's, as you said, an access journalist. He's, you know, he's made bad comments before. He works for a right-wing outlet. Can't say that about the Toronto Star. Nope. When the star matches that story, to me, that's interesting here. I don't know. Absolutely. It's, I really wish we weren't so stupid, though. Like, I don't mean you and I. I mean, I, I mean, I, I wish I was less stupid, but I mean, collectively, I wish we were smarter because it's not impossible to have a conversation about whether or not the federal government reacted to a genuinely bad situation and to an, analyze their response. But I don't think this is possible really to do outside of very wonky policy mags in this country these days. Or well, and, or us and us. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. So I think that that's a good blurb. What was the rest? Of, another thing on my list. So the CRTC has uh, renewed uh, the CBC's. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah you've so, looked at this. I haven't yet. I've looked at this. I haven't read through the entire ruling. But what's interesting about it is that part of the requirements for that ruling is that the CRTC, or sorry, the CBC allocate like thirty percent of a particular type of budget for independent programming yep. to people who are racialized, gay, uh, LGBTQ two indigenous all those sorts of things so um and if you go back and you read the ruling it makes very specific reference to look the government of canada has um uh made commitments under the truth and reconciliation commission um and we have to incorporate those uh into your cbc mandate in the guise of strict you know um expenditure requirements so i mean this is a very bureaucratic way of going about these issues the cbc um, actually fought that particular thing. They had a couple of fairly rational, well-thought-out um, uh, uh, rebuttals to that particular requirement. It looks like the CRTC has essentially overruled them. 
So the CRTC is so the CBC um, because of its 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 dependence on the CRTC license uh, is now going to have to uh, spend a certain amount of money on 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 um, independent programming that is uh, coming from very specific types of people, equity seeking groups, right? Uh, and this is on top of the is, fact that is it you know, racial and sexual minorities, basically? Yeah, racial, sexual minorities, indigenous. Uh, okay. Also, there's um, uh, specifically from Quebec and uh, a French language and uh, those sorts of things. They're the, the, the pretty typical um, yeah. collection of people you what would you'd expect. expect. Yeah. Um, now, this is very interesting. Now, we actually, one of the first articles that we ever ran at the line was a piece from um, an independent uh -huh. documentary filmmaker who talked about the impacts that these types of quota and expenditure requirements have in practical terms on the types of, of produce that or types of content that gets to get produced. And the second you start imposing these types of quotas, you know, all of a sudden the, the needs of your audience become secondary to the needs of fulfilling your quotas. Yeah. Um, your incentives are are, are, are are restructured away from producing content that your audience wants and toward producing content that, you know, your your funder requires or, or needs. Um, so what this is doing essentially now, I, I, and I will, I will put a caveat in there. I think the CBC has actually done some really, really interesting stuff of late with um, uh, equity seeking, seeking groups. They did a interesting show called Sort Of, which when I saw the trailer for, I completely rolled my eyes, but then I wound up getting caught on a plane and watching it. And I really enjoyed it. It was really it good. Uh, it's, it's, it's about a, a trans or a non-binary um, person of uh, Indian descent who's uh, working as a nanny, sort of trapped in his her life and and winds up working as a nanny when the mom of the family that she's caring for he's caring for gets into a bicycle accident and gets put in a coma so like it's actually quite compelling like it's 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 i i, I found myself like like expecting to just be groaning the whole time and i actually wound up watching it thought it was it, it pulled me in it did suck me in so it was it was interesting so I'm not sure that these types of expenditures are required, and I always like to give the the, the better judgment of of you know well-intentioned people uh, precedence over you know strict um, expenditure requirements quotas because I think that then you know you're 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 teaching for the test right you're you're creating content for the quota you're not creating content that that is um, focused on being compelling or good. Um, but anyway, so I think that that's probably worth uh, noting. And also what's interesting is the fact that the what you have here is a, a CRTC board writing in specific political requirements into a condition for licensure. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's probably worth noting as a, as a, as a, as a shift in, in, in tone as well. Um, and also, I mean, this kind of brings us back to other stuff that we've written about in terms of like what's happening in media and increasingly money and funding going to traditional legacy and even independent media outlets, you know, one thing that I think I haven't raised the flag about or haven't written up about is like, you guys are setting yourselves up for a government controlled licensure environment, like they have in the UK, for example, that is what you are setting yourselves up for by taking this money, because it's an absolutely inevitable that over time, what, uh, you know, right now, if you want to access certain types of government funding or certain types of government tax write-offs, you have to meet the conditions of a qualified journalism there's a QCJ, something like that, QCJO. Um, you have to meet the the, the conditions of being a qualified, oh, qualified journalist. Qualified Canadian Journalism Initiative, yeah. Thank you. Qualified Canadian Journalism Initiative, initiative which is uh, spelled it under the Income Tax Act. Yeah. If you choose to go that route, and enough and enough organizations Ooh. choose to go that route. Or is it organization? Route, qualified Canadian Journalism? I think it's an organization. Organization, it's a yeah. QCJO, oh, right? Yeah. We don't qualify, actually. We at the line because essentially- we, well, we won't, but we also don't qualify because we don't have enough non-owners, uh, non non-owner employees. So um, 
Long story short of it is that if enough organizations do this over time, what this will absolutely inevitably evolve into is a licensure scheme. Mm-hmm. Like that, and 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 you will subject yourself to exactly what is happening to the CBC right now. Certain political objections will be baked into the continuance of your license. So, like, just just FYI, <laughs> that's where this is going, everybody. So, um, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I I think that that you know many of our medium uh, colleagues are so desperate to just stay afloat for the next year, which I understand, but they're 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 not looking at the medium term risks that they're um, engaging in. Um, but anyway, so I, I think that, that 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 came to my attention from a um, a, a Twitter thread, and I've had an opportunity to read through a little bit of the reading, and I got to read through or a little bit of the ruling, and I got to read through more of it. But I think that it's a shift that's absolutely worth noting, and uh, just a, a warning for our media peers ahead. A couple of things I would say in response is I have not read the ruling yet, so you're you're ahead of me on that. And to be honest, I might not read the ruling purely as a point of disclosure. You know this. I make it for the the viewers and the listeners. I host a radio show. I am CRTC regulated. I don't yeah. care. I don't mind biting the hand that feeds me, but I mean, I broadcast under a CRTC broadcast license. Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah. Sirius XM's broadcast license. I'm just included under it, but. Which is crazy because a Sirius XM doesn't use public broadband. No, it, it uses it, it uses the internet. So like, the fact and that you have like, to be licensed at all is insane. Radio waves from space. So it's, yeah. it's a completely different thing. Um, a couple of points I would make is that one of the criticisms I saw of this immediately, and I haven't read the ruling, but I certainly saw some of the reaction to it, is that this is going to force the CBC to cater not to what the audience demands, but what uh, elite policymakers want it to serve. Yes, And I, and I think right. that's a fair criticism, but it's also a criticism I've made of the CBC many times before. I mean, and then we're not talking specifically about CBC news. We're talking about the, the broadcast corporation yeah so yeah. this would also this also includes like a, a fiction and and, yeah. and all kinds of entertainment yeah. uh, programming entertainment, music yeah. programming and in fact like overwhelmingly i think this 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 dictate will not uh affect, news. Uh, oh, affect no. news like i think i think what it would probably if it does affect anything it would be like uh freelance indigenous podcasters would would sure. qualify under you know what i mean like i i don't think it, it's we're not talking about we're going to turn our news content into 30 percent this or that that's not how it works I, i'll be curious to see what does ripple through but in terms of the the C, what the cbc has to do and you and i have never been reflexively anti-cbc we've actually no. by by conservative standards we've been soft on the cbc what i find interesting about this is just the notion that the cbc for political reasons is forced to provide content that no one watches and yes, this is something that right. we've talked about this before it's kind of like you know, the CBC in, especially earlier in my life, I know you're not a big hockey fan, but I was watching the CBC all the time because I was watching Hockey Night in Canada. Mm-hmm. And then that migrated off. And all of a sudden I was never watching CBC anymore. And they'd be airing movies. Okay, cool. Sure. You know, air, air a Saturday night movie. That's fine. It was always some American blockbuster. And then look at their primetime lineup, right? And I know it. I know I'm, I'm banging on the old war drum here, but it was infamous where it'd be like, Canadian programming, Canadian programming, Canadian programming, British soap operas, noon hour news, Canadian programming, Canadian programming, Jeopardy, Wheel of Fortune, hockey game, Canadian news programming. Like, it was a ton of British and American stuff that people would watch. Driving. And then the rest would be would be would be um, off hour stuff that was intended to fill the fill the content quotas. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, like you could look at, I haven't done this lately, so I don't know if this is still true, but I remember years ago looking at TV ratings when CBC had Hockey Night in Canada, it had a ratings monster and it was CanCon. Awesome. Yeah. Canadian teams, Canadian cities. This is great. 
But when it had to compete on like a purely like primetime television thing, what was happening all the time is that I was either watching American affiliates directly and watching American shows, or I was watching an American show licensed by CTV or global or, or something like that. And no one was watching whatever the CBC was airing in those hours. Again, I'm not reflexively anti-CBC. They, they have a, a master to serve. I get that here. But in the era when TV, as we know it, is disintegrating anyway into various much more niche on-demand content streams, the, C, the CBC is going to be increasingly obsolete. And I don't say that as a knock well, on anyone but, there, but, but, but this, what is it and this... for? But this is also where you get into the finagling with the Podcast Act and the way that they, well, a lot of the government wants to start playing with the algorithms to in order to force more yep. Canadian content into people's streams, right? Um, and and the complication that is into that is entailed in that. I mean, like, there, the, the, now, would the Liberals never think that there's a problem that the Liberals don't think a bigger government bureaucracy can solve? You know, the, there's never there's never any a step back from the question and just like you know what maybe the Broadcast Act doesn't make sense anymore. Well, you know, Peter there's there's Menzies. never that. There's always like, no, no, no. Clearly, the answer is that we need to give this bureaucracy more power to do more intricate things. That's clearly the answer to this problem. Yeah. And even as you would think the technology would be loosening the government's hold on this, as Peter Menzies was writing about this week for us at the line, the government is in fact using its financial power and the complete destitution of the mainstream yeah. uh, legacy media in this country to, to in fact to power. enhance its power. Yeah. So you might have thought 10, 20 years ago, just kind of like projecting forward technologically. And I think this is true in a lot of ways, right? The music you listen to, the music I listen to, the music my wife and your husband and our neighbors and our friends listen to, we put 20 people in a room together, we can have 20 completely discrete musical tastes because the content is out there and we can access it, mm -hmm. right? Like we have looked at the complete, I guess we'd call it democratization of, of entertainment content where... You know, my wife can do nothing but watch the great Canadian baking show and I can do nothing but watch the original Star Trek series over and over and over because that's that's how I want to live. And no one can tell us not, not to, right? Because the content is just out there and we can stream it. But then you look at what you would expect to see sort of a democratization of the news media. And there are upstarts like us, but increasingly the legacy guys are just being bought out by the government. They're becoming completely dependent on government supports. Meanwhile, the CBC, in a weird way, CBC News, has never been more important for Canadian news because there's like five reporters left in the country who don't don't and, work and, for the and, CBC. And yet, and yet we are making it less and less relevant. So, I, I mean, this is this is this is the great irony of the democ great democratization of content is that the problem is that uh, with the ability and 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 access to watch whatever we want, we are increasingly not watching what the government thinks we ought to. I think uh, I've, so I've told you this. That before. has to be fixed, obviously, Matt. I remember telling you this before. Um, it was, I think, I think it was the Ontario 2014 election, um, which is where the Conservatives were expected to win, but the Liberals kind of snuck us kind of a surprise majority, and then they got annihilated later. Like they probably would have been better for them to have lost that election. Yes, but I remember in that. So did, did you ever work at the National Post Don Mills headquarters? I remember you worked. No, I'd like been into it a couple of times, but I'd never actually worked in the office. So it was this huge office space. No, I'm, yeah, gigantic. And it, it was actually it, quite pretty. It, it, well, I mean, it was kind of like 
terribly late 20th situated. century like, brutalism. But yes, well, um, I mean, but it had a nice like garden in the middle. Yes, cool. and we had nice big windows and stuff. But the problem is that office had been for a company that was like four times bigger than what it was by this yeah. time. Yeah. So it was a lot of dead space. And one of the things we had in front of the editor in chief's office was just a bunch of like long tables. And every morning, um, uh, Emil, our office assistant guy in the mailroom would just, we had subscriptions to a bunch of different magazines and newspapers and they would all just be laid out there. So I could get up at any time and like go over and be like, okay, here's today's globe and just flip through it and like, okay, interesting stories here. Take some notes. It was actually really useful to have physical copies of all these yeah, things. Yeah, totally. Right it, and also you could see how, how editors had prioritized different yeah. stories from compared to you and and it, yeah, and you weren't like clicking like 80 hyperlinks. Like you just had the ability to actually scroll. Through and it was actually much faster because you would just go. Yeah, it was much faster. Yeah. I remember for the 2014 election, flipping through it and realizing that it was all Canadian press. <sighs> that every paper in Ontario was running the same Canadian press story. Yeah. And it occurred to me at that moment that if it wasn't for CBC News, there would be. CBC News became a horrifyingly large part of Canadian daily news. Yeah. And it wasn't like there weren't a multiple, uh, a multitude of outlets out there competing with it. There were, but they well, and this had, is, like, and this is why I do, why you and I did don't buy, buy into the great conservative cut defund the CBC mandate. Cause we're just like, you don't actually realize how, how much of a lifeline the CBC has become, particularly outside of Toronto and Ontario and, and, yeah. and Ottawa, the CBC really like, the Calgary Herald, the Edmonton Journal, these are shells of their former shells. Like that, like it really is the CBC holding holding down the uh, the 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 tent here, um, on on any sort of mid sized city in this country. Not not to mention the rural cities or the smaller regions. So I uh, guess, yeah. Jen, it's just a guess because I don't, yeah. I, I never worked for one of the what we, at Post Media we call them the metros. Like there was the yeah. National Post and all the metros. At the metros, this is a guess. Metro area of a million million and a half people, the largest newspaper in that town on any given day might have two or three reporters now yeah yeah i mean there's 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 really nothing left to any of these yep. organizations so one and like of that's and that's sick. after consolidation that's after consolidation between like this the the sun the 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 sons yep. and the uh and and post media so it's so, been it's been quite quite dramatic and quite depressing so let's say you have five or six reporters nominally on staff any given day one of them's off sick one of them's yep. on holiday yeah one of them's on long-term assignment maybe you've got two or three you can actually assign to the stories of the day. Yeah. If it wasn't for the CBC news. Stuff wouldn't get covered. Yeah. Stuff wouldn't get covered. I mean, that's the point. So it's like the CBC has this sort of magical period where it is going to become the dominant source of news in this country. And it needs to Unless accept we that. Unless we torture it to death. And, well, which we are. And like, and like, and the problem is that, that, that they have to accept this role as basically the imperial oil of content in the country and then we need to figure out you know okay and then how do we transition back into a more competitive system when the private sector is able to to catch up and we've been accepting that framework and that and that um that position and doing everything wrong <laughs> like we're, we're basically yeah. torturing to death the cbc at a moment when it should be the most relevant and we're stringing along zombie corporate zombie private private zombie corporations which strangles any other potential startup while creating a false licensure sh licensure scheme the early dregs of a false licensure scheme which will wind up um uh pulling probably print media into its orbit and um creating more government control over the whole system by the end once you're so, going to fund the media right. 
Good job, everybody. Oh, no. I mean, this is an example of every everything people have done here has been in service of a good, a good idea, a noble idea. But when you step back and when you look at like it, nobody's doing this stuff to ruin things. Everybody, everybody's road to hell here is paved with nothing but the, the greatest intentions. But if you step back and look at it from a system level, like a top-down level, what yeah. we're the media we're going to end up with this country is something that no one would have said was the right thing to do. Yeah, like which is very quintessentially Canadian. And I don't even necessarily share your assumption of good intention here. I actually think that that somebody within the government, there's there's some bureaucrat within the government who's figured, ha ha ha, an opening has arisen for us to take control of the media in this country, and has put together this plan. Like I I I do think that that this is a power grab. It's just a slow, gradual power grab. Then and it's they're going to put all of the destitute media into a pot full of money, and then they are going to slowly ratchet up the heat until people realize that it's boiling. That's what I think is happening. I do think that it is it is not well intentioned. See, I don't know if I'm more or less cynical than you, but I would never assume a Canadian bureaucrat wanted more work added to them. I think they would prefer not to be dealing with the media, but I think the political... Maybe the political side, sure. Some, some, somebody is, understands that this is a power grab. I think, I think what it honestly is, Jen, is that the incentives are... I mean, tell me this is not a macro comment on Canadian politics, but for preserving the media, the incentives are wrong. It is not in any politician's interest to be the guy in the big chair when post media or tour star goes bust and a huge media legacy company just ceases to exist. No one wants to have that happen. All of them are have an incentive, a personal political incentive to not well, be the guy Pierre. who lets that happen. Except Pierre. The conservatives don't have a political incentive to keep any of this shit going. We'll see how Polyev deals with reality. Um but you could be right. But I think just because there hasn't been to date, I'll say it that way, a political incentive to let us die doesn't mean anyone's incentivized to let us thrive. No, no, quite the opposite. Like, yeah. Having us. I you mean, want us on a leash. That's where you want us. Well, I, I was not even a leash, more an IV drip with, yeah. with, every, with like every drop keeps us alive just long enough to get to the next drop. That's ideal because then no one gets the blame for the failure, but no one has to worry about pesky reporters asking questions. Yep. Quarter to quarter, baby. That's our Um, What's the next thing? They're both Alberta stories. Essay contest. Oh, like this is also uh, this is, when I first proposed this had been far less covered than it ha than it is now. Well, I think we actually have. Yeah, I actually think we have a, a piece that's going to come about this as mm. well now. So okay. I, I think we can skip this one. This is just, let's just uh, go right to what we were laughing about earlier this week, which is turning Alberta into a free speech zone. Yeah. So this is something that came up during. Um, so I went to the leaders UCP leaders debate this week and uh, mostly just sort of get a feel for it, get a feel for the vibe. And something that came up was the fact that um, uh, Danielle Smith, who is massively leading the race by coming up with Freeman on the land style um, political policy. I mean, don't get me wrong, she's got some good stuff too that I think is, is rational and sane, but I mean, just a lot of sort of Freeman on the land, magical thinking style political policy that isn't going to work the way that Albertans think it's going to work. But anyway, so she kind of comes up, I don't even know if this is off the cuff, but she's like, you know, with what the government is trying to play with with um, its various bills on, on media, what we should be doing is we should be trying to um, work with Elon Musk and Starlink to get 
um, the infrastructure in place and declare Alberta a free speech zone or a free a free a free sort of media zone, and then use um, Starlink as some kind of um, uh, internet service provider that the government the federal government couldn't control. And so this got great big applause. I mean, like you know, you got Elon Musk reference, you got Starlink reference, you got free speech zone reference. I mean, all hitting all the hits. And I've actually hurt my brain trying to figure out how this would work in practice. <laughs> because I'm thinking, okay, the second that Elon Musk starts providing satellite internet service into Alberta, it it becomes an internet service pro- provider under the law. I mean, right? Starlink exists in Canada already. Is it Starlink, not? Starlink, yeah. Like it's, it, they're not, I don't, it's just another service provider. There are other satellite internet service providers. I do think they are still subject to CRTC regulation. Plus also Starlink, I believe, is based in the United States and there's all kinds of like tax treaties. So like it's not like a United States company isn't subject to Canadian law if it operates within the United if it operates within Canada. Broadcasting is still a a, a, a federal jurisdiction. And I'm thinking like, okay, so how would how would a company like the line, which is domiciled in Alberta, how would we take advantage of Alberta being a free speech zone? Because I'm like, we're still a corporation under Canadian law. So I'm sorry, we, I just looked it up. Uh, Starlink has a CRTC broadcasting license to operate oh, in Canada. Okay, well there as you go. Okay, so there, so thank you. There we go. Yeah. So they've got a CRTC broadcast. Thing. Thank you. Look at that. So I'm like, okay, so we're still we're still a company under Canadian tax law. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking like if the CRTC were to create some regime and decide that um we were subject to some kind of fine, they could still come after us because our assets are in the are in Canada. They could put a lien against our assets. Like 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 so I'm thinking, okay, so how would we actually make this work? I mean, okay, I guess maybe we could re-domicile to Panama, but then now we're now we're Canadian citizens domiciled in Canada with a company in Panama. Now the CRA just comes after us for tax evasion. Like, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like I'm just Panama's I'm, lovely this time of year. Panama's I mean, so we're gonna move ourselves and our families to Panama to take advantage of Alberta's free space speech so like how the fuck does any of this make sense if you stop to think about it for one second like it just it's one of those things where again it's just like danielle what are you talking about what What are you talking about i look i told you already and this is sort of a, a repeat of the sovereignty act the plan doesn't have to make sense all it has to do is give her an opportunity to talk about stuff that makes right wing people angry so know, like, but, has she but, come but up with like, a plan problem, to like the problem is like like you do this every i do this every time she comes up with these sorts of half-baked plans it's like i start thinking through the process of how it would actually be implemented and would it work and you can whittle away at it like it's like but this would this this piece doesn't fit in with that piece and like this that's not how the system works and like it I've hurt my brain matt i've hurt my brain thinking about how to make this work in my head and i can't I think we I can't need to, make it. We it need doesn't... to get you one of those Morpheus red pills because after you just abandon all hope, you'll end up where I am. Where I look at this stuff, it's the same way that I look at every time the liberals federally are talking about guns. They talk a lot about policy, but I'm just ignoring all that and I'm looking for what they're doing politically. This is what Smith is doing with the Sovereignty Act and the Free Speech Zone is that it the yeah. policies don't make any sense. They're not going to work, probably won't even try to make them work. 
But the more she's talking about them, the more she's saying things that she knows the base wants to hear. Well, and she's signaling she's signaling an allegiance to a particular type of ideology and value set. Okay, we we in Alberta, I mean, there's stuff like like for example, you could have the Alberta universities adopt, I think, the University of Chicago protocol around free speech. Like like sure. that is within our jurisdiction. That is something we could do. I think Doug Ford proposed something of the same the same idea. That's to my mind a pretty good idea. Those protocols are very reasonable. You know, um, but yeah, I like what ha brain hurt. My brain just hurts now. My brain just, just literally hurts now. This is part of what I've been telling you for years though. Actually, if you want to really, if you want to really dumb down overly simplistic answer for everything we're seeing right now, which of course, who wouldn't want an overly simplistic dumbed down answer for everything? It's that the conservatives are becoming liberals. And I don't mean in terms of their political like doctrine, but in their their tactics, we are seeing the complete liberalization of conservative of, of 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 the political tactical sphere. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Which is, you know, twenty years ago, or not not quite twenty years ago. You once upon a time, you would have looked at a guy like Stephen Harper, and you would have been like, yeah, you know, I don't really like him, but I, you know, he's tough and he's. He's logical. He's he's hard. He's hard hearted, but he's also hard headed, and he's the right guy we need for these circumstances, right? Conservatives these days are not the guys who are maybe a little bit callous and heartless, but you count on them to make the like the steely eyed, rational decisions in moments of crisis. They're losing their minds as much as the guys on the left are. Like we're yep. talking about the, at the start of the recording, yep. right? I mean, yep. like. The FBI serves a search warrant for apparently documents related to nuclear weapons. <laughs> and instead of the Republicans kind of rationally going, well, you know what, this is going to piss some people off, but maybe we shouldn't have nuclear documents floating in, in the Mar-a-Lago basement yeah. bathroom, you know, instead, and that's presuming they, he's not feeding him to the Russians or something like that. I mean, it's giving him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, well, I mean, it's not, it's not just him we have to worry about. It's every janitor at Mar-a-Lago. I know, I know. Um, but it's just the conservatives are now as emotional and as easily triggered as conservatives 10, 15 years ago would have laughed at the left for being, they've yeah. just adopted the targets of permanent outrage, permanent. Won't you think of the children permanent? Like every cut you're going to make is going to be like putting 300,000 people into a soup line or something. All of that stuff that the conservatives once rolled their eyes at for the liberals, they've just joined it. Yep. It is the politics of aggression and aggrievement. Yep. So why is Smith talking about this stuff? I I know. I just I just anyway. You it's haven't fine. reached it's acceptance fine. yet. I haven't reached acceptance You're yet. Still in bargaining. I'm still in bargaining. I'm like maybe maybe there's a way that this could make sense if I think it through hard enough. I must. I'm not smart enough. I'm missing something. I must be missing something, Matt. You just. Your, your expectations are a problem. You're still hoping for something better. Whereas I've given up all hope. And that's why, I mean, I lost all my hair, but my moves are great. <laughs> um, all right, do we have anything else on the list? No, I mean, it's kind of one of these weeks where like there's so, like I said to you before, like there's a lot to talk about, but not from a Canadian commentary angle. So maybe it's a lighter dispatch than normal this week. Um, Doug Ford swallowed a bee in the middle of a press conference. He swallowed a bee. Did he, did he take that Roosevelt style and just keep going? No. Like he went, Oh, Holy Christ. I swallowed a bee. 
and it Im- immediately we got memed in Ontario. And I'll tell you this: if he'd swallowed a B three months ago, he would have won ninety seats instead of eighty three. Um, so there's the Trump stuff. I mean, that was big. Uh, the moron shooting up the field office. That's big. I don't know if there's a ton that we, we have to say about that. Uh, oh, you know what? I will say purely as a personal note about all the Trump stuff, boy, did I ever slip right back into my old habits hard? Like I kind of had to shake a couple of mental cobwebs off. Going to be like, okay, it's going to be a Donald Trump insane news day today. So who are all the people I follow? Who are all the news accounts that are not crazy? All like we've had kind of like a nice year and a half of President mm-hmm. Biden where I yeah have. it's been it's been calmer. It's been calmer, but it was easy to slip right back into that old Trump paranoia. By the way, while we've been talking, the Department of Justice says uh, the deadline has passed and Mr. Trump did not object to the uh, unsealing of the warrant. So oh, I don't okay good I don't so know. We'll- We'll see where that goes. I don't know if that's a positive decision on, on the part of Mr. Trump and his counsel. Um, I don't mean like good, but I mean like direct. I don't know if they decided that they would not or if the deadline just lapsed. I'm not sure which what it is, but that's what NBC News reported. And apparently NBC News has the warrant. So we'll, we'll soon see. So we should probably hold off on uh, writing the dispatch till we see if there's anything really fascinating in, the, in that warrant. And maybe we'll come back and do like a secondary follow up. Um, so there's emergencies act, which I can do. You want to do free speech. Uh, uh, I'll do free speech zone and I'll do the CBC CRTC renewal. And then I'll watch the Trump stuff to see if there's anything blurble. How about that? Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, honestly, like I don't have anything to say about Anne Hesh dying, which is sad, but like, it's that's not sad. It's not a blurb and it's not a blurb. Rushdie not... being in, in hospital. It's not a Canadian news story. It's not a blurb. exactly. So kind of nice to have a week go by though, without, um, without something huge in canada to write about isn't 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 trudeau on vacation isn't everybody on vacation right now it's really nice out by the way it's gorgeous yeah it is out. the humidity broke in um oh. broke in toronto so it's I been think... like 28 30 degrees but not humid which is yeah really so nice. so so calgary summer weather we've been going to i've been going to the lake like every day it's been fantastic you know like my wife and i just last night uh i have one of those little credit words do she got it for me for father's day it's like a little outdoor movie projector oh cool and it had been too hot through most of july to use it because at the end of the day like the evenings no, didn't break the humidity no because so, you're in ontario and it's terrible there not even all ontario southern ontario in particular yeah 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 so i didn't want to be sitting outside in like a steam bath so yeah. we would just stay inside but last night was actually great we got the patio furniture out set up the projector we watched the movie outside so oh that's fun that's pretty cool it is pretty cool um poof not a blurb though i don't know as of right now the only blurb i know i'm writing is emergencies act um okay emergency healthcare act, system do... continues collapsing yep nothing that's new fine. to say i guess that's about it that's about it okay i mean there's the, there was the, also the center ice stuff that happened up in edmonton but like yeah we were invited to that but i couldn't make it for family reasons you were invited i wasn't invited i think you were were they i think we were both invited we we're both invited I think Oops. so. I forgot. Anyway, it's fine. It's fine. Well, I mean, I would never go any place you weren't welcome. <laughs> Except maybe That's a, a gentleman's club. You've been invited to a couple of gentlemen's clubs. Also, I think you get invited to like upper class Waspy Toronto clubs I don't get to go into. Yeah, but I usually come up with an excuse. Um, okay. That's all I got. Thanks, everybody. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right, folks, for Jen Gerson, I'm Matt Gurney. This was the latest episode of the Lions Experimental Podcast. Have a wonderful weekend. Talk to you soon.